Baseball 365 Podcast, and here are your hosts, Justin Hughes and Andrew McQuiston. Well, hello everybody. We are almost a full week into baseball season now. We've gotten to watch games all week, weekend. It's been wonderful. Andrew, how are you doing, man? Doing good, man. Good times. Season started, so everything's all good. Every night now, you get to go home and watch baseball. It's awesome. Yep, it's great. So my first question for you is, what are the highlights, if I ask you that question, what are the first thoughts that come to your head over the course of this last week? What sticks out to you? Really, like, a lot of opening day, just because that was, you know, highly anticipated, obviously. I mean, I hate to say it, but the Brewers, like, just between Kane's catch on opening day, Yelich's hot start, and Josh Hader, they've been crazy good. Hader got another save tonight. But, yeah, it's, it's a lot of stuff. I mean, but that, that kind of sticks out to me a little bit, those guys. Fortunately, you and I both picked the Brewers to go to the World Series last week, so <laughs> we look really smart right now. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. No I'm pretty kidding. sure we both had them out of the play, not even making the playoffs, didn't we? Yeah, yeah. It's a long season. I'm not worried about that right now, but yeah, still funny. Seattle's off to a good start too, real good. Uh, that one's nuts. They're six and one going into tonight baltimore's three and one and i think they won today tonight didn't yeah, they? yeah yeah baltimore won yeah <laughs> it's crazy they're on like i remember four, they're on a four game winning streak it's hilarious i think on opening day i don't remember who said it in our roto masters 2 chat but it said you know what we expected them to be, i expected them to be bad but they're even worse than i thought they were <laughs> and here they are yeah. four and one yeah, it just shows how early it is, really. Yep, it's random. My highlight, too, is opening day, sitting there on the couch with my my bratwurst, my beer, my baseball, watching games all day. Uh, it's crazy, but, you know, watching Lorenzo Cain rob a home run to end that Cardinals game sticks out to me. And even as a Cardinal fan, I watched that and was like, that was awesome. Obviously, I want my Cardinals to win, but... I also really like Lorenzo Cain. I think I've said that here. He's one of my favorite non-Cardinals, and it was just a cool play. I'll tell you what else was good. I don't know if you saw Loriano's throw last night. Did you see that? No, I saw Ryan Andrew, I think, mentioned that on a group chat on Rotomasters 2, but I have not seen the throw yet. Yeah, he threw out uh, Bogarts at home from center it was impressive like awesome throw like right on the money i mean just led the tag right into him they reviewed it and it call stood and it was pretty incredible throw i'd I'd try and catch that highlight it was from last night okay i'll have to look into that i remember he had a few amazing highlights last year i think he threw out somebody from almost to the wall if i recall last year or something like that yeah that's that Bo Jackson level arm. That's yeah. what Bo was always famous for. <laughs> All right. Well, we're going to get started off. We're going to talk about a lot of the news and things that we've ta- seen during the week. We're hoping to try to keep these shows at an hour. At the end of the show, we did do a drawing for the free T-shirt for Baseball 365. And at the end of the show, we're going to announce who our winner is to come forward and claim your prize. 
And outside of that, we're just going to talk about what we saw this week. We're going to get started off with the downers. And the very first one, injury striking all across baseball. And Corey Kniebel, the fears about him were a worst-case scenario. He's out for the year with a torn UCL. That's an absolute downer for guys who took him early on if they were drafting in, like, January or early February. I mean, nobody knew this was coming. I said before that I thought they'd signed Kimbrell, and it looks like I'm going to be wrong there because people on the inside are saying that's just not going to happen. For now, it looks like internally that leaves two options. Josh Hader, who has, I think you just said he got another save, so I think that's four for him right now. He's off to an incredible start. And Jeremy Jeffries, who's supposed to be back soon from injury, he's been on the DL. And I know that at a time when Knievel was hurt last year, Jeffries was getting saves. But Hader's been really dominant. Let me ask you, Andrew. I know you're a Hader owner, and I know who you want it to be, and I know you're very invested here. But give me a guess here. When Jeffries is back, if he's pitching well, which one of those two do you think is getting more saves? Uh, if Jeffress is pitching well, I think probably Jeffress. Just because I think that, I mean, Hater's great. I mean, Hater is arguably the best reliever in baseball. Like he's ridiculous. I mean, it's just it's 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 gotten to the point that it's must see TV every time out. I mean, it's just stupid what he's doing and what he's done, you know. But that said, I think that he it's better for them when they can kind of use him more sporadically, like when they want to, when the matchup's right, you know, not just in the ninth inning strictly. And, you know, could they put him in the ninth strictly? I guess, but I feel like it's just a better option for them to do it more kind of whenever they want. And maybe sometimes that will be the ninth too. It could be that sometimes, but, I think that it's more likely if Jeffress is pitching good that it's Jeffress. I will say, though, if he isn't and they don't really have another option, I could see it being Hater at least, you know, a little bit more than more than we would have thought before this news, especially if they're not getting Kimbrell, which it doesn't sound like they're going to. So I pretty much agree with everything you said that couldn't have said it better. Hater's off to a ridiculous start. On opening day, I watched him strike out four and two innings with that save, which I mentioned before, that's the one where Kane robbed a home run. And on Saturday, he struck out all three batters in a one-inning save. Monday night, he had another save, and he got another one tonight. And going into not- to tonight, I heard this stat on Baseball 365 that he's thrown 35 fastballs, I think, and nothing else, which is just insane that batters know what's coming and they're still not even hitting it. That's just crazy. Yeah. Yeah. I think it was actually even more than that. I think it was like 46, but either way. Yeah. It's just, it's nuts. I did. I did notice he threw at least one slider tonight. Cause I watched the inning tonight when he got the save. So he, uh, did the, he definitely did, did the that. batter swing. Um, actually, I don't remember if he did or not. It was to Jose Iglesias. I, he might have even thrown him too, but he walked him. He walked the leadoff guy. It was Iglesias, and then he got back-to-back strikeouts and then a foul pop-out, so he had two Ks and a walk. 
save, uh, but I can't remember if he swung at the slider or not, honestly. And there may have been more than one. I noticed one, maybe two, but it was mostly fastballs again. I was thinking that whoever sees that first slider is just going to look silly. <laughs> so that's interesting that yeah. he actually got away and walked. Well, while we're on closers, we'll move to another sad situation, and that's Seattle closer Hunter Strickland came in for a save on Saturday night. It looked pretty apparent that something was wrong with his arm. The coaching staff came out, the medical staff, and Strickland told him he was okay to pitch. And he not a couple batters later, I think Mitch Moreland hit a, I think if I recall right, it was a three-run home run to win that game for Boston and give Seattle their first loss. It doesn't look like we're going to see Strickland anytime soon. He's been diagnosed with a grade two lat strain, and he's already been put on the 60-day DL. And apparently someone named Chasen Bradford earned the save on Sunday, but Anthony Swarzak has been on the DL and is supposed to be activated, I think, by Tuesday. So he may have already been activated. I haven't looked to see. Andrew, is Swarzak the guy to own? I have no idea. Elias got the save last night, so it's been Bradford, Elias, and uh, what's-his-name got the first one, Rumbelow. I have no clue. Honestly, I I don't know. I don't think I will think that I know until they have a guy, like, get back-to-back. So if you're out there and you're desperate for saves and you're getting somebody, are you trying Swarzak or are you trying to pick one of the, maybe just hoping to guess one of the other three? I can't imagine being that desperate for saves four <laughs> days into the season. I just, and, well, and that, yeah, I just, I don't know. I Let's say Corey it's a total and Hunter yeah, Strickland were your two closers. You drafted bad if that's, your, if that's the case. <laughs> I mean, that's just bad. But yeah, I just I I wouldn't invest too much into it. I I just don't know. I mean, I guess maybe Swarzak, but I wouldn't bid much on him. I I just I don't know. I agree. We'll be talking about Fab strategy later, but that I agree that until there's a definitive role, I'm probably not investing hardly anything in any of them until we find out. I would maybe do something where I like threw a buck on all of them. And then just got one and see how it played out, and then drop them, and you only lose a you know a buck or something. But that's like what I would do with that. I I'm not <laughs> throwing a lot at that situation, mostly mostly because I'm not even sure if any of those guys are even any good any you know to begin with. So yeah, we don't know. I think they want Swarzak to probably be the guy to come back and do it, but I don't know. I shouldn't say I think. I just that's just my guess. Yeah. Next up, we got a couple of Yankees that had surprising trips to the, I got to get used to saying injured list, not DL or disabled list. That is weird. That throws me off. I don't, I don't like it. I don't like that. I tell you, I I don't like, they used to have that in the NBA. It was IL. Yep. Like back, you know, back when I played fantasy basketball, I remember it was IL. And it was, and now I can't even get used to that. It's so weird to me. I don't like it at all. No, maybe someday we'll be used to it and we'll be like, you remember back when we used to actually call this the disabled list? But yeah, I, I think it's going to take some time. It's, it's going to take a little bit. And then by the time they'll probably change it again. It's like, why'd you even change it? <laughs> uh, He'll weird. be on medical leave, the ML. Yeah. All right. So we got a couple of Yankees. 
Giancarlo Stanton and Miguel Andahar both were placed on that IL list on Monday. Stanton apparently had a funky swing on Sunday and is being shut down for the next 10 days with a left bicep strain. The hope is some rest should help and he's back by the end of the month. But in a corresponding move, Clint Frazier was called up and manager Aaron Boone said he's going to get regular playing time in left field while Stanton's in out. Andrew, I know you own Stanton in a league, at least one league, Roto Masters 1, correct? Don't you own him there? Yeah, I've got a couple shares. Got him in a home run derby. Yeah, I've got a few. I've got a couple shares of him, yeah. And in a league like that, you may have more depth, but in a league where you may be having to play the wire like a redraft league where you lost Stanton, is adding Frazier a priority to you, or do you think you're looking out there for other options to pick up i think it i mean it depends on the depth of your league and who's available but no i wouldn't just like run to grab frazier i mean i mean you're not replacing stanton anyways regardless so i would just go and sort by outfielder and you know go with the guy that i thought was best i i'm not sure that i would be convinced that that is frazier but like i said depending on how deep the league is it, he could be the guy, I guess. I mean, it's just, it's it's hard to say because every league's different as far as that goes. Yeah, well, I guess we could look at some other outfield options that are not owned in a lot of, in like a 15-team league. I'm trying to pull it up right now to see who the most available or the the highest owned outfielders that are available are. And we're looking at, Albert Amora in this league I'm in. A whole lot of rookies. So I got to scroll past that because Fantrax uses a lot of Dynasty. Oh, man. Oh, here's a good one. Anthony Alford. Would you rather have him? Oh, I know you've been a fan of him in the past. Would that be, uh, be a guy you'd be looking into picking up? Maybe, yeah. I mean, like I said, you're not going to replace Stanton. So if you're picking up guys like Frazier or Alford, really the only thing I would say is, Whichever one is going to get more at bats is the one I would rather have, but I'm not even convinced I know who that is at this point. No, Dexter Fowler is available in this league that I'm looking at, so that might be yeah. an option. Yeah, see, I would probably pick him. I'd pick him up over those two guys just because I know he'll get at bats. I mean, I would watch those guys, though, for sure, but I mean, they're the type of guys they could go 0 for 8 and be in the minors in two days, you know? I'm not convinced that they're locked into anything yet. It's crazy. I didn't realize until now, if you're trying to look at free agents in an auction league, or I'm sorry, not an auction league, but a redraft league, and you search by free agents and percent owned, you're going to find a lot of rookies from all these dynasty leagues that go on. Huh. Yeah. Yeah. I usually try and just skim over those. Well, let's move over to Anduhar, and the prognosis is much scarier for him. He has a small labrum tear in his right shoulder. He will be treated conservatively for two weeks, but he may have to have season-ending surgery. This feels like a huge blow to owners who drafted him, and unfortunately, I'm on that list. I took him in my redraft auction league that I had two months ago. I mean, this guy was a top-100 pick. Yeah, it's brutal. Hopefully he's all right, but it doesn't sound good. No, and... I own him, and I don't have another third baseman, so this is a position where I am having to look at the wire and see who I can pick up, and the options aren't pretty. 
Todd Frazier, who's on the DL right now, and let's see, he's about to begin a rehab assignment this week. So, but Matt Duffy, then you got Colin Moran, who doesn't even have a job right now. That's it for the first page as I'm scrolling through these. J.D. Davis, who isn't getting regular playing time, but he's gotten a few more bats lately. That actually might be who I have to look into. The options are not pretty. I'm kind of floored at how bad they look right now. I don't know how Frazier can come back to a job, really. But, yeah, it's it's rough. If you lost Andahar, you just got to go with the best option. You know, it's it's kind of tough. There's not a lot uh, a lot there. Yeah, I, I think what I'm going to have to do is look out for a trade. And this goes back to before the year when we were talking about draft strategy with reserve round and what taking guys late in drafts. I, I think we were talking about rookies. That's actually where this conversation came from. But I think I have three or four rookies on that team including one Kyle Tucker who just didn't make the squad. And now because I wasn't taking some of these guys with some flexibility in the reserve rounds, I feel stuck. There's a I mean, good lesson. Is, uh, probably not, but is uh, Tim Beckham available? I think he was grabbed in fab over the weekend, unfortunately. Yeah. I tell you that, what, I kind of like him, man. Call me crazy. Yeah. I, I kind of like him. You made a He's trade third. for him this week, last week, didn't you? Yeah, yeah, I traded like a low-end prospect in a dynasty league for him. But what I like is he's third base shortstop. So that's like just a sweet combo position-wise, you know, for being able to play him at like corner infield, middle infield. And I just feel like he's going to play. I liked him a little bit coming into the season. Like I got him on a draft and hold in January. He's actually up right now. And yeah, I don't know. I mean, I don't, I'm not like buying into this super hot start and saying it'll continue or anything like that. But just as far as like a cheap guy that's going to play and uh, could be like a replacement for a guy, like, for example, I plugged him in for Lindor in the league. I lost Lindor, you know, stuff like that. But yeah, it's, it's tough. I mean, it's just, I think that uh, he's at least going to play some and, has a little bit of upside, but heck of a start hitting 423 with three homers, eight runs, and RBIs in eight games. That's incredible. And yeah, I just looked. Chris Winder picked him up in that league. So thanks, Chris. You know who? You know who else is off to a, off to a good start? Our boy as Drupal. Yeah, didn't he hit another homer tonight? Yeah, he hit another one tonight. Yeah. Yeah, that's three. I have him in the draft and hold league. That's three home runs, right? Yeah, three bombs. Yep. That's awesome. I'll take it. Yeah, it's off. To, it's a good start. Well, 10-step strikes again, Andrew. We keep talking about this. It almost seems like every episode for the last month or every other episode, we've had another pitcher prospect go down, and this one's Hunter Green. It's been announced that he's having Tommy John surgery. He was first diagnosed with a sprained UCL last August. He'd been trying to rest it out and heal, but... Another setback has happened, and now he's going to have surgery. This is a real shame for Dynasty owners, as Green was going in the something like the top half of first round of subdrafts last year, if I recall. Yep, I don't know how many times we have to say it. It's like a broken record, but you just can't get too attached to these young pitchers. I mean, it is what it is. He'll be back. I'm sure he'll eventually be really good, but 
it, the timeline just gets pushed back when this stuff happens. So, yeah, and I was actually having a debate about this on Baseball 365 yesterday after it was announced, and I said the word ten step, and someone disagreed with me, and he said I just don't get the logic with this ten step stuff. He used Chris Paddock as an example against me and the theory of it, basically saying, well. Paddock came back and he looks like a stud now. Well, I agree to his point at some extent that, yeah, they can come back from Tommy John. Most of them do, not all, but most. Paddock has been a prospect for a long time because of this injury. I don't, I've been forgetting to go look, but I think he was drafted in something like 2014. I'd have to go look, and I'm not going to right now. But he feels like an extreme example here because he came up and was so dominant last year. He jumped levels quick, and had that not happened, I mean, that would have sent him back a good two years. We, we may not have seen him for another year had he not had that kind of amazing year last year. My, big, my bigger point with this was with prospect pitchers, if they choose to have Tommy John, and it feels more and more like most do these days, that's another 18 months missed on top of them just going through the process of working their way through the minor leagues. So that's a guy who's taken a roster spot in your minors for a longer amount of time, which is preventing you from cycling through guys and watching them grow in value. It's easy to point to Paddock now, but it hasn't always been that way with Paddock. And also for everything that we have said about Paddock, and I, I know I, you know, I, he was, I picked him rookie of the year and he had a great first start. He's had one major league start one. So, you know, yeah, okay, it looks good. It was five innings. It was one start. Like, let's not anoint him the next Jacob deGrom yet, you know? I mean, I do think that he can be awesome. And, you know, it's definitely a possibility. But it's almost like they have to become close to that or that level type pitcher where they're an ace for you to say, Oh, I screwed that one up. There's so many more that aren't. And it's like, like I've said before, you can just buy the pitching that's less expensive that's already in the major leagues and be fine. I mean, Paddock could be an ace, but if he is, he's more of the exception than the rule to these guys that come up, the pitching prospects anyway. We'll move on to the next guy, Francisco Lindor, who was hoping to be back shortly around opening day or shortly after. With that calf injury he suffered in February, he's now hurt with an ankle sprain that he suffered last week while rehabbing the calf injury. I saw Paul Haynes from the Cleveland Dealer, who's a beat reporter for the Indians. He's now saying that he could be sidelined for at least three more weeks. Man, this guy feels snake bit right now. Yeah, definitely sucks. Just got to wait it out, but it's tough. I mean, he's... So good. It's it's hurting their team too, man. Their lineups lately have looked yeah. just awful. They got like Eric Stamets in there replacing uh, Lindor. It's it's a pretty much a mess. Yeah, hopefully he just gets right. You know, I don't know, man. I I question whether or not they were rushing him back. Mm. I kind of I honestly I was thinking about that. I was like, because you know he got hurt and they gave the timeline and it was like, oh, he's probably going to be out for opening day. And then it was like, as it crept closer, it was like Lindor might be ready for opening day. Lindor might be ready for opening day and everyone's pumped. And then he got hurt again. And I was like, man, I, 
I just have a feeling they were just rushing that, and it, he just wasn't ready, you know. So hopefully they're a little more cautious now. At least, you know, just get him right. I mean, that's what we need, so. Yeah, they just need him for the majority of the season to be healthy. This really yeah. doesn't matter too much, hopefully, for them. Hopefully, I mean, they've got such a great staff. Actually, their team right now reminds me a lot of Dodger teams about 15, 16 years ago. I remember owning Kevin Brown with the Dodgers. I think it was 2003. It seemed yeah. like every game he ever started, they won 2-1 to because their offense wasn't any good, but Brown was awesome. And just yeah. every game was 2-1. to one. <laughs> <laughs> But there's not much you can do if you own Lindor right now. I mean, you went into the season, you knew he was hurt going in, and you probably have somebody, hopefully, in your lineup filling that spot. And three weeks, is it sucks. But on the same note, I don't think you're going out there to make a trade now because that you just ride whoever you got. And you don't really want to mess up your team just to fill that spot right now. Do you agree with that? Oh, yeah. Yeah, for sure. Okay. Well, in that case, let's move over to closer situations. We've got a couple messy situations going on, and we'll start off with the Royals. They had Willie Peralta out there on opening day to start the ninth. I think it was 5 nothing. I was looking at all this over again earlier today. So it was a non-safe situation. But after hitting a walk in the first three batters, he was pulled, and a couple more guys got on, and I think a run scored, and then Brandon, or Brad Boxberger was in the game, and he got a save. On Saturday, Boxberger came out and pitched the seventh inning, giving up three runs, and Ian Kennedy pitched the ninth inning, getting the save. On Sunday, our manager Ned Yost said that he likes Peralta and Kennedy as ninth inning options. Again, Andrew, I think you said that you don't like being in situations where you're picking up closures and on bad teams where you're desperate for saves, but who of this group do you feel the most confident in? Let me ask you that. Man, I, t- I, I actually picked up in a couple of leagues. I got Ian Kennedy for cheap fab. Uh-huh. I don't know. I mean, of course, you're guessing again, but it's like um, I kind of wanted to get a little ahead of the curve there and just see if, see if he could stick. Because, like, I know Peralta's bad, and I think for the most part we know Boxberger isn't the greatest – they actually just took the lead 4-3 in the bottom of the eighth, so we're about to find out. But uh, <laughs> obviously it'll be posted after that. But, yeah, I would take Kennedy of the – I mean, I would take whoever gets the next save, really, is the ultimate answer. But if I had to say it before it happened, I, I would probably take Kennedy. You know, I think I agree, and he- hearing you say that, it just made me think of Bud Norris another guy who was a starter who as time went on, he moved to the pen and all of a sudden he was closing games there for a few years. And it seems like he's always loses the job at the end of the year, but he kept getting the closer gig the last few years at the start of the year and holding it for the majority of it. And who knows? Yeah. I heard Rich Wilson talking on the prospect Three Sixty One podcast about something that did catch my, catch my eye, catch my ear since I was listening, whatever you want to call it. But Kyle Zimmer, I didn't realize he was on the Major League squad. I guess they had to either bring him up as he was healthy and pitching this spring or, I guess, be at risk of losing him. And he's pitching out of the bullpen right now. And he's he had a real good spring, and he's only had one relief appearance so far this year, but it was a clean inning also 
to where I I could see something like that even possibly if maybe none of these guys grab hold of that job and he keeps pitching well. Wouldn't shock me to see a guy like that get in there either. Yeah. Yeah, I, I could see that too. I always I always liked Kyle Zimmer. Obviously he's had a tough injury prone career, you know, in the mi- through the minors and stuff, but yeah, it could be anybody really. Uh, it's whenever it's situations like this, it's almost like whoever gets the le- the most recent save is kind of what you want to go with. If it's a traditional save, I always like to uh kind of pay attention to how it happened. Though like one I wanted to bring up is on opening day, I was following the uh the Twins game because I have Trevor May in a few leagues. And I, I actually grabbed Parker in one, two that I have May. So I'm watching the game, and it's two to nothing twins. And I'm thinking, who's it going to be? Who's it going to be? Because I'm just really curious. Because we didn't know for sure. They never really said. Well, Taylor Rogers pitched the end of the eighth. And the game, and so it comes back on in the top of the ninth. And Taylor Rogers is still in. And it was because there was, you know, he's a lefty and there was lefties coming up. Well, on the broadcast, they said that they're like, it's situational because, you know, there's lefties up and he got the save. But if you just looked at the box score, you would think, well, he's the closer, you know, but from watching that. And then the other thing was, and this was what it kind of irritated me because I'm more on in camp may than I am camp Parker, but they cut to the bullpen and Blake Parker was the one warming up and I could be mistaken, but I don't think it's come up since then for the twins. I don't think they've had a safe situation since. So I've been like kind of following that a little bit, but that was just one thing I noticed on opening day that anybody that just looked at the box score would just say Rogers is the closer, but I don't think he is. I think that was just a situational thing. And from what I could tell, it looked like it was Parker over May. But that was only one game. It's just stuff like that that I think is good to pay attention to, you know, early in the year. And, yes, Ian Kennedy is in for the save in the top of the ninth. 4-3 Kansas City. Oh, I hope he gets it. (laughs) That's why I like having you on the show, Andrew. I get to watch some stuff. I don't get to watch near as much as you do. And that's good inside information that I didn't know right there. Yeah, it's, right. just, it's just some stuff you get from watching the game, you know, as opposed to just looking at the box score. And that thing with the Twins, it was like, like I said, I'm not for sure if they've had a save chance since, but I want to say they haven't. I don't think so, they have. Yeah, I don't think they have. And so I'm they're curious. the team playing the Royals right now, which means yeah. unless Kennedy blows this, which right. I guess you're hoping doesn't happen, you won't have an answer tonight. Yeah, it'll be you know it'll be in the next few days, you would assume. But I'll just be paying kind of a close attention to how that goes for the first week or two, because I feel like it's kind of fluid. Now let's move over to that four and one Baltimore Orioles. You said they won tonight. Yeah, I think Blyer got the save tonight, didn't he? Didn't I see that right? I actually didn't even see who got the save. Okay. Uh, well, looks like it was Miguel Castro. Oh, my gosh. Well, that's just going to make this even more fun to read. I 
on my notes that I made for yeah. the situation. Yeah, he, he gave up. Uh, he gave up a home run to Telez, but he got the save. Going into the season, it seemed like Mc, Michael Mikel Givens. I don't remember exactly how to say that. He looked like the favorite to start the year with the job, but in the first save opportunity, Givens was pitching in the eighth inning, striking out the side, allowing one hit. Lefty Richard Blyer was out there in the ninth inning, and maybe it was because they had a bunch of left lefties going on or coming up, but he had a rough outing in there in the ninth inning, giving up two runs on three hits, and Mike Wright ended up coming in and getting the last two outs for the save. And on Sunday, Baltimore was up again, and Givens was in for the eighth inning, got the first two outs in the ninth inning after getting doing the eighth, and then was pulled for Paul Fry, another left-handed pitcher, to get the final out. I've heard Givens has severe splits against right and left-handed pitchers. Like, he's much better against right-handed batters, I should say, than left-handed batters. So I get that one. But on Monday, Richard Blyer pitched the entire ninth inning, giving up a run but getting the save. Just feels like a mess. And now Castro, you just said, is getting it tonight. I think I still want to own Givens of the group listed here. But, Andrew, this just feels like a stay away from everybody. Yeah, it's, I mean, I would still take Givens, but it's, it's, it's a mess. Yes, it is. Okay, a lot of doubters there, and I think it's time to start talking about some positives. I do have some positives for us to go into, and the first one I wanted to go into were the young kids that have been called up and made their debut on their teams this last week. I'm starting off with the hitters, and the main bats I wanted to bring up were Pete Alonzo. Fernando Tatis, Eloy Jimenez, Jimenez, and I forgot to mention Victor Robles, too. I guess he's not making his debut, but it's his first full season as a starter. And Andrew, I know you watch a lot of games and probably have seen each of these guys hit at least a few times. What are your thoughts on these four guys and what you're seeing so far? Uh, Alonzo looks good from what I've seen. I saw him hit that bomb to center. And he's just been getting hits. You know, he was just piling up hits during that Nats series. I haven't seen as much of Eloy yet. I did see him strike out, I think it was yesterday. Um, So not as much to say about him. I know he hasn't really come out of the gates killing it, but that doesn't mean much. It's only been a few games. Tatis has looked good from what I've seen, and he just murdered a pitch last night. Uh, first career home run or whatever, but yeah, he killed it, Merrill Kelly. But yeah, he's looked good the first few games, and then uh, who was the other one? Oh, Robles. I haven't seen as much of him either. I it feel, it seems like I've watched a decent amount of the Nats, but it's almost like I have just been missing his at bats randomly, you know, or whatever. So I haven't seen a lot, but I bet. I but know yeah, Tatis, Tatis and Alonso have been uh, have been good. And. Tatis is surprising to me. I think we talked about how he had a pretty good high strikeout rate, even just in double A last year, but we'll see if it lasts. I mean, both of those guys strike out their fair share of times, so it could end up turning turning for the worse for both of them eventually, but hope not because yeah. it's been pretty exciting seeing those guys hitting. Yeah, and uh, Ian Kennedy just blew the save, so. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> That Tell just me it was a Buxton homer. That just goes to show you, like these guys, it's it's like a bunch of random crappy middle relievers on some of these teams, and 
like I said, it's like the most recent save is the guy you want. It just doesn't even. Oh my gosh! Yeah, it's uh, no. It was a Polanco actually doubled and then got moved over and scored on a single or something. I think that's my boy. Yeah, it's just mess. It goes back to the you know people say you don't have to pay for saves and yeah you don't have to but then you're busy chasing stuff like this all the time and putting right. your hair out right exactly <laughs> yeah because and the, and then you're bidding you're bidding your fab like we kind of talked about the one you know you're bidding fab and then oh he doesn't have it and then you're bidding on somebody else and then it's just almost you can waste a lot of fab doing that you know yeah so. Uh, going back to the rookies, I did see Victor Robles smash a nice double off the wall over the weekend. That was pretty nice. And Alonzo, I haven't really haven't gotten to see him hit much. I saw that home run also, and I also, I'm saying the word also a lot, I saw your post on opening day talking about how Scherzer made him look silly on an off-speed pitch, and that oh, sounds yeah. about right for him in terms of the book on him and the, that I was reading this offseason was he he crushes fastballs, but you can get him on fat on off speed pitches away. So that didn't surprise me much. It was the very first pitch. He was second pitch. Well, he was second hitter of the game. So it was top of the first. And I think Scherzer K'd the first batter, Nimmo, or I, I think it was. I can't remember who it was. But then, uh, yeah, Alonzo comes up, and it's like. Scherzer breaks off the slider and he's like swinging out of his shoes and you could just tell that he was totally hunting the fastball and it was just kind of like welcome to the big leagues like Max Scherzer's <laughs> slider on the outside edge you know <laughs> it was nasty uh, I wish I'd seen that all right well let's move on to some pitchers and who have been making their debut to start the year. Corbin Burns and Chris Paddock were the two interesting guys to me, both of them starting on Sunday. Paddock was exceptional with five shutout innings, seven strikeouts, and I know he didn't have hardly any hits, and it was only one walk. Burns was more of a mixed bag. I think he struck out the first nine batters or nine outs that he had were strikeouts, at least the first six. May have been nine. And... Either way, he finished with 12 strikeouts in five innings with only six hits and a walk. But unfortunately, three of those hits were home runs, reverting, resulting in four runs allowed. I personally feel good about Burns knowing all of that because he dealt with some bad luck there with the home run ball. Andrew, do you agree with that logic or giving up yeah. all those bombs have you any worried? Yeah, no, I, I think it was a good outing for both of them. I mean, you can't really complain about double digit K's for a guy like Corbin Burns, you know, it's just not, it's just when he comes out like that and has 12 K's in his first outing, that kind of overshadows everything else. I mean, home runs. Okay. Whatever. But that's really impressive to do that. And as far as Paddock, I mean, I'm not even surprised, man. Like I just, I think it's going to continue. I think he's great. I I think he's going to have a great year. But obviously, like, that was the Giants, so there's going to be tougher tests ahead, of course. But, yeah, I, think, I just think Paddock's going to be a stud this year, said it before. So His changeup is so nasty. I don't know if you saw any of that start, but it's just like he pulled – they always say he pulled the string. It, it literally looks like he pulled the string. It's, it's ridiculous. 
It was a Sunday. I was uh, having a lot of family time that afternoon, but I did catch one inning out of him. It may have been the first inning, and I did see him strike out somebody with that changeup, and yeah, yeah, they made him look silly. Yeah. All right, well, let's circle back to the Brewers, who are off to a crazy hot start to start the year. I think they just won tonight, so that puts them at 5-1. and one. And Christian Yelich... The reigning MVP, wow, what a start to the year he's had. Home runs in all four games against the Cardinals, and through five games now, this is not counting tonight's stats, he has a 412 batting average, 565 on base percentage, 1.23 slugging. Jeez. And then six walks to two strikeouts. Now, I know I said before the season that he can't replicate that home run to fly ball ratio and hit 30-plus home runs. I think his home run to fly ball ratio was 35%. And I still stand by that. But, man, Andrew, I can't deny that he had an incredible week. Yeah, definitely an incredible week. I, And this is the same whether it's somebody like Yelich or somebody that's, you know, nowhere near as good. But um, I don't feel like you can put too much – stock overall into what individual players are doing yet it's just so early like so many guys haven't even homered yet and there's guys that don't even have hits hardly I mean it's it'll iron itself out as we get through the month and the you know first couple of months and then it starts kind of normalizing a little bit but yeah Yelich is obviously awesome I mean I don't put too much stock into who's been awesome or terrible this early you know really I mean overall it's just it's kind of just whatever I'm more I'm more paying attention right now to like lineups like where guys are hitting in the order against lefties righties stuff like that and bullpen usage like I was talking about with the twins guys and stuff like that like when guys are coming in and pitching the ninth or you know whatever you know stuff like late late end bullpen because we're all kind of trying to figure out who the closers are on at least a few of these teams so during the offseason i said that i didn't think yelich was going to be a 30 home run bat again i just don't see that and i still stand by that even despite this start but i will say i probably would have even taken the under on 25 home runs but just by a couple i my projection projection for him was low twenties, and I probably wouldn't make that bet now. I think there's a chance with that this nice little spurt to start the year. Maybe he does get up over twenty five, but barely. Yeah, I could see it being anywhere from twenty four, twenty five up to like thirty three, thirty four. I see it being anywhere in there. All right, the next hot start I wanted to discuss was Trey Turner which, before I took these notes, unfortunately, some bad stuff happened tonight. We'll get to that in a second. Going into the year, I did have a theory that he ran last last year and the year before hitting in front of Bryce Harper. And now while a week of sample size doesn't prove me right, he does have four steals already in his first three games and two home runs, both coming on Sunday. Again, Andrew, I'm not saying this proves my theory to be correct, but I do wonder if this story has some legs to it. But... On top of all that, he got drilled by a pitch tonight in the hand while trying to bunt. And he's, I think I heard, last I heard, he's being sent for x rays. So 
you trade Turner owners, which I'm not one anymore, but I, I don't have any shares, but cross your fingers and hope he's okay because he's one of the most exciting players in baseball to watch. Yeah, I didn't see it tonight, but I heard that he got hit. It sounded like his finger um, hit by a pitch or whatever, so see what happens. I don't think that there's been anything announced yet, at least last that I knew. So they, That's a guy who you cannot replace, so they desperately need that guy to be healthy, and it would suck if he's out for a good portion of the year. That would be three time, three of the last four seasons where he's m- missed some time if he has a serious injury here. But hopefully it's nothing. I mean, we saw Lorenzo Cain on opening day, I think it was. I saw him go off the field with a, th- a thumb deal, and I thought, man, that could be a serious injury. And he was back the next inning still playing and played the rest of the game and still hitting. So hopefully it's yeah. more of that. Yeah, hopefully. Moving on to the Dodgers, and I think everyone on that team is hot to start this year. Jock Peterson had a huge weekend, hitting over 400 with three home runs and 16 at-bats. Bellinger, before tonight, was hitting 500 with four home runs, and while we were just recording, I heard that he hit his fifth home run, which is a grand slam. Kike Hernandez, who appears to be the starter for the Dodgers at second base now over Chris Taylor, He's hitting 375 with two home runs and 16 at-bats. This team as a whole already has a plus-18 run differential through th- five games, and it's crazy. They're 3-2 and two during that five-game stretch. That's pretty dang good, Andrew. Yeah, they're all on fire. It seems like every single one of them. It seems like Kike's been on fire, too. Yeah, they're just they're going nuts, especially Bellinger. Uh, even with... The injury to Kershaw, they just feel like they're the best team in the National League. Even if they were in a division that was more competitive, I'd be saying that. They're just so darn deep. They could have an injury to just about anybody and still be able to pick up and be just fine. And you can't say that about many of the other teams in the league. Yeah, no, they're they're just deep. And Bueller didn't even pitch good in his first start. and They still won the game, and they're still, like, hot. as long as he's healthy, I mean, they're they're fine. The other hot start, a bit more of a surprise. Somehow the Seattle Mariners and that ragtag team are 6-1 and one going into tonight. Jay Bruce already has three home runs. Domingo Santana is playing like it's 2017 again. He's got three home runs and a 1.14 OPS. Alex Smith's healing well. Mitch Hanniger's off to a good start. D. Gordon's looking more like pre-2018 D. Gordon so far. But this can't keep going on. They, they're they a bad team, right, Andrew? I don't know if they're as bad as I thought coming into the year, maybe. But they're no, yeah, it's not going to keep going on. I mean, they're not that good of a team either, I don't think. I mean, just got to give it some time. They're just hot. It's seven games. Another prospect pitcher was called up on Monday, and that was Diamondbacks pitcher John Duplantier. ah. How do you say that, Andrew? How do you say his last name? I think it's Duplantier, but don't quote me on that. Well, it's okay. Nobody's listening. Duplantier. (laughs) Diamondbacks beat reporter Nick Piercoro. I'll just keep saying all these tough names. He said that this could be a temporary thing to provide length to the bullpen, which does make sense coming off their miserable weekend against the Dodgers last weekend. 
And Duplantier came in and pitched a three-inning save and a blowout against the Padres last night on Monday night. Maybe he will be sent back down shortly now that their bullpen may be getting a little more rest, but that's a solid start to his big league career. And Andrew, I know we've talked a lot of prospects over the last few years. I don't remember ever discussing this guy before. Do you have any thoughts on him as a prospect? Not really, no. I don't think he's an ace or anything that's that close to an ace. And when they're pitching prospects that I don't think have that type of ceiling, I'm not really interested. It is what it is. If he turns into that, then, you know, more power to him. I Like, we'll see what happens. He's probably a starter down the road, but how good a one? I mean, I don't know. It's I don't like him that much. I mean, it's just another pitcher, you know? Yep. People get hyped on some of these young guys just just because they're young guys, pitcher, you know, these pitchers. And it's like one of those things, you, you let a guy like that come up and get beat up a few times, and then nobody likes him. And I'm not saying that'll happen with him. It can happen with anybody, but it happens a lot, too. Like, guys that haven't shown in the majors yet, People are pumped on them. They come up, they get rocked a few times for, you know, a couple months or half a season or whatever, or, or they're just not great. And then all of a sudden expectations become more realistic and tempered. And that's when you try and get them. And I don't know. He was good yesterday though. I mean, we'll see. I mean, I'm sure he'll be, he'll be good for them. They, their pitching isn't that great anyways, other than, you know, Ray and Granke, I guess. But It kind of reminds me of Tyler Maley hearing you say that. Last year, he was kind of a sexy name going into the season. I know I liked him, and by the middle of the season, he's worthless being cut in dynasty leagues even, and he's going to start a game this week, but that's because Alex Wood's on the DL, IL, I should say, but he may not get more than one start. Kind of just reminded me of that hearing you say that. Let's move on to the Rockies infield situation. This is something you and I both discussed many times during the spring. And sure enough, come opening day, it looked like it was what we were expecting. Ryan McMahon had earned the second base gig and Hampson was going to be the super utility guy. McMahon had a solid first week, but Hampson looks like he may have found playing time in a different way. And that's because first baseman Daniel Murphy had a finger injury. He suffered the injury diving for a ball at first base on Friday night. And today, here on Tuesday, I think it was, Bud Black, manager of the Rockies, he said that he's been diagnosed with an avulsion fracture of his left index finger and is out for at least a month. First off, that's horrible news for Murphy owners who... And both of us are part of that group, and we both had pretty high hopes for him. And finger injury that possibly has him out for a month, that sure dampers everything. And this also may mean that McMahon and Hampson both should get regular playing time going forward until Murphy returns. And I say should because on Sunday, Hampson still sat after starting for one game while Tappy and Mark Reynolds both started. I know we were all screaming about this on Sunday, Andrew. 
Yeah, it was more a joke to me. I don't think that'll continue. I think Hampson will get Hampson and McMahon, I think, are both going to play now for the most part. Yeah, it sucks with Murphy. I had high hopes for him. You know, it's, it doesn't sound like he'll be out forever, but it just doesn't uh, sucks. You know, he he could have been huge this year, I feel like, and maybe he still will be. There will still be time when he comes back, but it's a good chance for those guys to establish themselves and, you know, kind of see what happens, whichever one's better over the course of the time while Murphy's out may get be more likely to stick when he comes back. So, Yeah, this will make it a pretty good competition for another month. These guys have another month to show who can hit and who should stay in the lineup. It's going to be interesting, and who knows, maybe another injury will happen in the next month, and it won't matter because they'll continue to be playing because just about anybody in the lineup could get hurt and – they could work it around and get get those guys in different positions to have them both starting. Yeah. All right. I didn't put many things in here that seem like overreactions to bad starts, but Andrew, with you being a Cubs fan and how rough this was, I did want to ask you about you Darvish and that disaster start he had on Sunday. Yeah. Uh, did you see it, Andrew? Uh, a lot of it. Yeah. It, it was a, it was a mess. Just a mess. I don't think it was Sunday, though, was it? It was Saturday. No, Saturday, yeah. Yeah, I, I put it down in my notes wrong, but yeah, it was Saturday. I remember that. Yes. Just ugly. So, in saying that, he's pitching Friday against the Brewers, and if you owned him, how comfortable are you feeling rolling him out there after that disaster? Because it is just one start, but... It's also a red-hot Brewers team. He's pitching Thursday against Atlanta. Oh, did that change? I never saw Brewers, but um, either way, though, I would I would say no. I don't want to start him this start. No. Yeah. Not again. Not even, I don't care if it's the Braves or the Brewers. It doesn't it? Doesn't even matter. They're both on the road, and no, I do not want to start you, Darvish, this start. Pitch good, and then we'll start you. But no, I'm not starting them. It takes an extreme for me to change my mind on somebody, but and I don't own Darvish anywhere. The other thing is, though, is whatever you think of Darvish, we haven't seen him pitch good in forever. Mm-hmm. Like, just pitch good one time, and it, it can be on my bench. That's fine. Against a good offense... Like, I, I'd rather have him pitch good on my bench than bad in my lineup. I say that a lot, too. I've said that a lot in the past. Like, with certain guys, this is one of those instances. I'd, just, I'd rather see it on my bench and then start him after that than roll him out there and feel like I have to cover my eyes, you know? I feel like even stronger about that early in the year where your ERA can swing so much. Do you agree with that logic, or do you kind of – feel the same all year uh, round. I kind of the same for the most part all year. Yeah. It depends. Maybe maybe real late in the year if I know it's not going to completely kill me, I might care a little bit less, but I get like your logic on that, I guess. It's I don't think about it too much. Well, it looks like Clayton Kershaw may be returning as soon as next week. He's throwing a rehab start in Triple A Oklahoma City on Thursday. The hope is that he can throw four or five innings. 
which that's abnormal. I'm used to hearing in rehab starts a certain amount of pitches, not innings. That's different. But after that, he may be up early next week. He may even be a two-start pitcher. Andrew, we both have shares. We got our fingers crossed for this, right? Yep, fingers crossed. I wouldn't be counting on two starts yet, but yeah, fingers crossed. I'm like numb to this stuff until they (laughs) announce that they're pitching. Like, I just don't, I'm not even like that excited about it until I know that he's starting on whatever day. And then, you know, you go from there, but I'm not even thinking about being a two-star pitcher. It's not even, I heard you say it on the post or whatever. And I was just like, you know what? I just want him to pitch. I don't need like two starts or whatever. I, okay. But yeah, I, I don't know. We'll see when he gets back. It's just, I'll worry about it then. He's good enough. All you really care is for one. He's yeah. Good. Yeah. If, if he's in there, obviously you're using him. And if he's not, he's not. I feel like with, with Kershaw, there's like, it's like mindless. There's no, there's like nothing that you have to do. You just, you use him when he pitches, and when he's not in, you have him on your DL. Like, it's there's no brains required. You know, it's like maybe like during draft season, you know, like those late stages of draft season trying to figure out where to take him. But, but like now, it's just, you know, you're pitching him when he pitches, and you just hope it's enough to get you through, you know, in the end. But, yep. The final news I have are two extensions that were signed today. This afternoon, Braves 20-year-old superstar outfielder Ronald Acuna signed an eight-year, $100 million extension. And on top of that, he has two more club options that could top the contract out at $124 million. This keeps him in a Braves uniform until he's something like 30 years old. Now, I know that $100 million sets you for life, and Acuna's done that now, but man, to sign for that long and give two more options at only $12 million per, this feels like a steal for Atlanta, doesn't it? Total steal. Total, total steal. I honestly, like, and don't get me wrong, $100 million is $100 million. It's a ton of money, clearly. But I think that there is almost no chance that he wouldn't have gotten more had he not mm-hmm. done this. I, I, I honestly don't really get, get from Acuna's side why he would do it. I mean, don't, I like it for baseball. I like that Acuna is going to be a brave. I do. I really do. I think it's good as far as that goes and all that. And $100 million, yeah, it sets you for life. I mean, yeah, totally. But what would have to happen for him to not – get way more than that i just i don't know i i don't really see it like i just this guy this guy if he didn't do this like if it just went on the normal you know like if it um went kind of like where harper you know wait wait till you get the deal and then you get the big deal and it takes off or you know like trout whatever you know like those guys did i feel like the amount of money this guy was going to get, it's, it's it's like inevitable that he was going to get ridiculous amounts of money. And I'm, and I'm saying that at like a hundred million isn't ridiculous amounts of money. It is, but I'm talking way more than that. I just, I don't know. I mean, it is, it's a safety net, you know, thing where it's like, I've got that, 
now, but I don't know. I feel like he could have gotten way more later. Yeah. The big difference between him and like Eloy, who's signing this contract, Eloy hasn't had a major league at bat. He hasn't right. proven himself. And a guy like Acuna, he's proven he's a superstar. And I feel incredibly confident. We talked about him in dynasty rankings, having him being okay with him being number two. And that's because we're confident with what he showed in the major leagues last year, that this guy's a superstar. And in six or seven years, there's a good chance he could be getting a three, $350 million contract if he's stuck around. And instead he's going to be with that, that with Atlanta till he's 30. And at that point, he, he may be looking for a Goldschmidt type deal at the age of 30, where it's just still solid like gold. And of course, as time passes, it may not be the exact, it might be more money than what Goldschmidt got, but that's the type of deal he's probably going to be looking at a five-year deal of pretty high average dollar value. But, I think he's going to miss the boat on getting the extreme money that he could have gotten. But I got to say, too, I'm confident with this guy that he would get it. I'm just yeah. confident in it. Like, he was up last year. You know, he's been in the majors for close to a calendar year. We've seen it already, and he's was 20 years old. I mean – is it really just going to all of a sudden be bad and he's going to lose money from no. this? I mean, even, even if he was decent and disappointed, like let's just say he didn't fulfill the superstardom you know, down the line and he was just a good player. Like, let's say, like, a, a George Springer-level player. or uh, I was about to say Justin Upton. I remember yeah, or a Justin, or a Justin Upton year. level. Yeah. It, even if he was that, he's going to get more than this, I feel like. Uh-huh. So, yeah. I don't really see... I just really don't get it, why he, why he would do that now. But I totally get it from Atlanta's perspective. Totally. I think it's, it's great for them. And I, and I do think it's great for baseball, too. Yes. It's great for baseball. I love seeing players lock up and stay with teams. I think it's good for competitive balance and all that. But going into the Atlanta side, this helps give them flexibility to have keep a great roster around him. When you've got a guy like Acuna, who may be a superstar for the next 8, 10 years, and you only have him for $12 million, that gives you more money to put in other positions that – allows you to stay competitive to where this contract could change the state of that franchise for the next 10 years. Yeah. Yeah. They definitely should be able to have a, put a good team out there around him. Yeah. No doubt about it. And the other extension that was signed tonight, Rockies pitcher, Herman Marquez. I hopefully I'm saying that right. He signed a five year, $43 million extension with the Rockies and his underlying stats said that he was an ace last year and good for the Rockies for finally locking a pitcher down. Dynasty owners may be bummed, though, because he's pitching in Colorado. Wouldn't you agree, Andrew? Yeah, I mean, obviously, you'd rather him not pitch in Colorado than pitch in Colorado, but he could be all right, you know. We'll just have to see. I'm, I'm curious this year, see how he does. Yeah, I agree. This is going to be an he's one of the most interesting guys to watch this year to see how he rebounds. Cause like we said before, we just don't see Colorado Rockies pitch 
at that sort of level a couple of years in a yeah. row. But yeah, he may be the one of the best ones they've had. So yeah, it'll yeah. be interesting for sure. All right, my last topic I was going to go into here was Fab, and we both play in leagues that use it. And for those of you who don't know, Fab is free agent auction bidding. That's where everybody that's on free agency gets bid on. If you want to pick up a player, you put bids, and the highest bid gets that player, and it usually processes something like once or twice a week. Now, I actually even play in one that's daily, and there are leagues that are like that, but most of them are weekly. And Andrew, I think most of yours, if not all of yours, are weekly. And with explaining that, as we're early in the season here, what is your typical fab strategy in terms of paying for free agents? Because there's a couple strategies people go. Some people hang on to it, and they try getting those guys who maybe at the trade deadline somebody pops or gets called up later in the year. And there's other guys who just blow it now and just don't and let everything else play itself out later. Are you one of those two somewhere in between? Where where do you lie on that? Um, it it kind of depends on the league and where I'm at in the league and how much I need something. If it's a redraft league where, let's say, we're like early in the season and I can spot a weakness pretty quickly – like let's say I'm just weak in a certain position or weak in a certain category or whatever, and I can spot it early on, I'm willing to be fairly aggressive if I have to be. But more often than not, I kind of like to sit back a little bit and let things play out and not overreact too much to the first. Like I just see too often people, a guy has one good start and someone's blowing a hundred a hundred fab dollars on some starting pitcher because he, you know, just had one random good start and then he gets shelled a couple times and they're back on waivers and boom, you lost that fab. I, I don't like to do that at all. So I like to line up multiple guys. Like a lot of times what I'll do when I go through them is I'll, it takes more time doing this, which sucks when you have multiple leagues, but I will line up a lot of guys behind. What I mean by that is like, you know, you'll set one guy to drop, like I want to drop whatever player I want to drop, and then I'll set up like eight or nine guys sometimes, you know, just in a row, like my top guy that I want for the most fab, and then all the way down. And you can con- kind of control a little better how much you're bidding as opposed to just, bam, I want to bid 150 or 200 or 300 or whatever on whatever guy it is you know i'm only gonna do that if it's a guy either i really really want more so that would maybe be in a dynasty league but a lot of guys are owned in those so it's it's even you know it just it kind of just depends it's situational but and then in a redraft it would just be needs you know specific needs whether it be like i said a category or a position yeah I typically am one that holds it to unless I see something that just sticks out to me is this is a guy who I feel confidence a game breaker, which I usually don't feel a weekend. Last year, I did spend early on Hunter Strickland with the Giants because Melanson went on the DL and Strickland was pitching like pitching incredibly well there in those first few save chances. And he was a closer for a good portion of the year before he 
knucklehead ended up punching something and breaking his hand. But usually I'm the same boat. I wait. I'll I'll drop bids. I think I there are a couple pitchers that were had good starts that I put twenty thirty dollar bids on out of a thousand fab and that if that's one of those that if they end up not being anything no big deal. But usually it's more just wait until I actually feel confident in a player fill holes but don't go out of my way to blow money just to get the top guy no matter who it is. The other thing, too, that I think a lot of people mess up with with Fab is know the player that you want in comparison to the rest of the players that you can pick up. Yes. For like For, like, the example, like, like, let's say your third baseman got hurt and you need a third baseman. So you go on there, you, you click on third baseman, and you sort all the third baseman. And let's say they all just look the same. It's like okay, there's six of them here that I can pick up and they're all the same. Well, then just bid a small amount on all of them and then, you know, yep. to where you to where you're going to get one as opposed to bidding a ton because you really need a third baseman. And so many people do this. I, I've seen it so many times and it's just, unless there's one, now granted, if you have a big need, I will say, if you have a big need, like your stud third baseman went out and, you go and look, and there's one guy that jumps off the page in comparison to the others. I have no problem with somebody being aggressive on bidding on that one guy. But if there's a bunch of them that are all similar, I just don't understand bidding a lot on it because you need the position. Like, just bid a small amount and get the one you get, you know? If, if they're all the same, why are you bidding a lot on any of them, I guess, is the general point. Great advice. Great advice for you listeners who don't play in fab leagues. I recommend you get in one. And those that you do, listen to what Andrew said because he's right. Kind of the same thing, too, with uh, two-start pitchers. If there's like, uh, let's say, you know, you're just trying to get a two-start pitcher. If there's one you really like, sure, but... If there's several of them or you're just like, oh, I need a pitcher. And, you know, a lot of times you go on waivers and it's like you look at the pitchers, at least in leagues I do. I know I go on and I look and there's like a bunch of them that are like really similar. Mm-hmm. And like, yeah, I mean, I have slight preferences usually almost always, you know, like, oh, I'd rather have this guy than that guy. Would I really rather have him for 40 fab dollars as opposed to like the other guy I could get for five or, you know, it's just and save the fab, you know? Yep. And I'm always trying to think about, like, how I can save the fab. So a lot of times I'm not going crazy with fab bid, unless it's something that is a combination of I really need him and I really want him. Then I probably would go nuts. But other than that, I'm just I'm just playing it conservative usually. Yep. Sounds like your draft strategy, as I hear you say that, in terms of looking at guys and – looking for difference makers that you spend on as compared to getting guys that are the same. You just would rather just wait and get the cheaper option. Yeah. And it's hard. And it's hard to find difference makers on waivers in a, you know, 15 team league. Yep. I mean, it's, it's tough, but and a 12 teamer, that's Bum, a whole different story. Bomb Garner just went yard. <laughs> 
Who? Let's see. And uh, chicken... and you know what's funny is Granky did about twenty minutes ago. So they so. both went yard on each other. No, they're it's separate games, but. Oh, okay. Bumgar- Bumgarner hit it off of uh, La- Eric Lauer, I think. Or no, oh, no, no, no. I'm sorry. That's that's backwards. Uh, Granky hit it off Lauer, and uh, Bumgarner hit it off uh, Ryu. Guess what? What? You start Trey Lauer. Turner's got a fractured finger. Oh, jeez. Yeah, it just popped kinda, up on my screen. I kind of figured it. It sounded like it was bad. I I didn't even yeah. actually see the replay. It was on a bunt. I read. You know what? I wonder if the Nats would actually consider bringing up Carter Keboom. He was scheduled know. to start in Triple A. Yeah, you never know. If it's At, if it's going to be a while, you never know. Yeah, we'll see. That's a downer to end the show. Yeah, it sucks. But we'll maybe we'll talk about that more next show. But we're going to get out of here. The one last thing we need to do is draw, announce this T-shirt drawing. And I did a random draft generator, actually the exact same thing that we talked about when we were talking about Dynasty Leagues. I just entered all the people who put in reviews of our podcast, all their names on there, and did a random generator. That way I've got them all in case the first person doesn't get a hold of me, then the next guy will go to. And I emailed Andrew the list and username Mark Hee Hee, whoever you are, would you please reach out to me on Facebook and let me know that you are the one that put that review in for us. And if you can do that, we're going to send you a Baseball 365 t-shirt. And we appreciate all of you that got on there and gave us reviews and Mark, I'll give you about a week, and we'll put this on the Facebook group, too. And if you can do that for us, we'll get you a shirt. If not, we'll move on to the next guy. So, Mark, as of when I post this, which hoping to have it up tonight, you're the clock's on you to get a hold of me within the week. Yeah, thanks, Mark. Appreciate the review. Yep. And we appreciate all you guys. Andrew, we talked about a lot here. We've covered a lot. Anything else you want to talk about before we get out of here? No, not uh, not off the top of my head. I hope the uh, Cubs don't make six errors tomorrow like they did, <laughs> like they did yesterday. <laughs> but other than that, no, I'm good. No, nope. and we know you're still watching games because there's Base- games on right now. So it's time baseball to get out of here. And go is, watch uh, baseball is here. It's a beautiful thing. So Yeah, it is. All right, well, we're going to get out of here. I'm going to get this. And try to get this up tonight. And Andrew's going to go watch more games. And until next time, take care, everybody. Yep, take care, guys. Thanks again for listening to the Baseball 365 podcast with Justin Hughes and Andrew McQuiston. Be sure to check the show notes for all the details on today's episode, along with quick links to Facebook and Twitter. If you have a question, a comment, or a suggestion, We would love to hear from you. You can find us at the Baseball 365 Facebook group or send an email to us, baseball365pod at gmail.com. And if you like the show, take a moment, rate us on iTunes. Once again, please join the Baseball 365 community on Facebook. That's where baseball lives 365 days a year.